Coming up, Ryan Nelson looks like the real deal, and Lindsey Crosby tells us the top five prospects in the D-backs organization after the Corbin Carroll promotion. All that on today's podcast. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter, at creatorthomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks, both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle and of course we're also on youtube so go check out the locked on diamondbacks podcast for all our podcasts in video form if you guys want to see my ugly or handsome mug depending on how you guys feel about me and also thank you for making locked on diamondbacks your first listen every day i would not be able to do this podcast without you my loyal listeners sharing subscribing reviewing doing all that so i could do this podcast for you thank you it's free and available on all platforms so please continue to tell your friends enough of the hoopla to start the podcast let's get right into it because we had ryan nelson make his debut against the san diego padres and he did not disappoint ladies and gentlemen because i don't know what we should have expected from Ryan Nelson in his debut, but what we got, I don't think anyone expected because he absolutely blew away our expectations in game one as a starting debut pitcher. He went seven innings, seven strikeouts, only allowed four hits, no walks, no earned runs, an absolutely filthy and dominant start by Ryan Nelson. And basically, not basically, I always say basically when I'm about to give a fact, this is a real fact. Since 1901, since 1901, there has only been one other pitcher to make his debut and have at least seven scoreless innings with at least seven strikeouts and no walks allowed. That is Nick Kingham of the Pirates in 2018. I don't even know who that is, so he must have been a one-hit wonder. But for Ryan Nelson, let's hope Ryan Nelson isn't a one-hit wonder for the D-backs because the D-backs, as I always say about this team and in regards to their future, I say three years from now, I'm confident in the D-backs having a top-five lineup in baseball because basically I think it's almost impossible for these D-backs not to have a top-five lineup in baseball in basically three years because there's no way they go 0-3 for 3 on Corbin Carroll, Drew Jones, and Jordan Lawler. Like, literally, if just one of those guys hits and, God forbid, two of those guys hits, plus the Rojas, the Marte, the Christian Walker, the Carson Kelly, uh, the Dalton Varsho, um, the Alec Thomas, all those guys already in the lineup, the Stone Garrett. Now I get two of the three of Lawler, Corbin Carroll, and Drew Jones. Like, yeah, the D-backs lineup is going to be elite and one of the best in baseball within three years maybe four years because those guys are going to need time to adjust, specifically Drew Jones, who will be the last one to be called up. But I always say their lineup, I'm not worried about from the future's perspective, but their pitching is what we need to worry about because one, I mean, you look at the rotation. I love Zach Gallen. He's a beast. He had no problems with him. Merrill Kelly, he's been very good this year, but it's not like he's a spring chicken. Like, yeah, he hasn't been in baseball that long, but he is a guy in his early thirties. So 
We're going to need more rotation depth. Zach Davies, I don't think he's a guy that's like a long-term answer. So the D-backs rotation desperately needs more young pitchers because we know Madison Bumgarner is just burning our money on fire right now. And when you look at the D-backs pitchers throughout the last few years, like there's been a lot more misses than there have been hits. So I've always been skeptical about can the D-backs actually develop pitchers from their minor league system and turn them into reliable starters or bullpen arms? Because so far... This season, I mean, Tommy Henry and Ryan Nelson have both been very solid rotation arms. I mean, Ryan Nelson, of course, only one start looked fantastic. Tommy Henry, you know, his stuff isn't elite, but he's been very effective in the starts he's made. Now, we do need to find some guys for the bullpen because that hasn't been in. That's been a big issue for the D-backs, and it doesn't seem like Mike Hazen is getting any closer to figuring out a formula or a strategy to signing relievers in the offseason. Right now, his only strategy is to sign guys over the age of 38, who's usually his best days whose typical best days were like four to five years ago and are just way on the back end of their career. That's like the prototype of Mike Hazen. Are you 38? Have you not been good or effective in the last four to five years? Like those are the check marks that Mike Hazen looks for in a reliever. Are you about to retire and this is going to be your last stop? Do we have to convince you to come out of retirement? Oh yeah, come down to Arizona and you could come in our bullpen and be one of our main guys out of the pen in high leverage moments like Oliver Perez was at this point in the season, if you even remember Oliver Perez. So Mike Hazen, I don't have a lot of confidence in him as a as a GM going out there and fixing the bullpen when it comes to free agents just because he hasn't shown shown us anything in that department. So I think it's going to take a lot of internal development from the pitchers if the D-backs want to build a rotation and a bullpen for the long term because I believe in the lineup, but the pitchers have always been the biggest question mark when it comes to this minor league system because Robbie Ray was great when he first got called up, and then the longer he, then the longer he stayed on that major league level with the D-backs organization, the worse he got. I always bring up the Alex Youngs, the Taylor Clarks, the Kevin Ginkles. Like, all those guys just haven't looked well. I mean, the guys, the pitchers from the Zach Greinke trade haven't really worked out. Humberto Castellanos, he was all right. There's a lot of D-backs pitchers. Luis Frias, he's pretty up and down despite having like really great stuff. Like A lot of these D-backs pitchers just aren't very trustworthy um, when you look at what they've done in the minor leagues or specifically what they've done on the major leagues. So Ryan Nelson is hopefully a guy that could break that trend of, of D-backs pitchers either just never reaching their ceiling or D-backs pitchers being just a flash in the pan. That typically fizzle out after a couple more years in the organization because I'm hoping what we saw from Ryan Nelson wasn't just a flash in the pan. If he's able to be a long-term piece, that will be huge for this Diamondback squad who, like I said, needs more pitchers. And Ryan Nelson was basically a guy that was borderline top five prospect at the end of the 2021 season. Now, he's been up and down throughout the top 10 in the D-backs, um, you know, Throughout the D-backs top 10 rankings right now, MLB, MLB.com has Ryan Nelson number eight among the top 10 D-backs players. And for Ryan Nelson, he's a guy that has talent that could be higher than the eighth best pitching prospect or overall the eighth best, pro excuse me, he has talent that could be better than the eighth best prospect overall in the D-backs organization because this is someone coming out of college was maybe the D-backs reached on him a little bit because this is someone that was like an infielder and pitcher in college, but He's someone that just the velocity on his fastball was insane in college, averaged 14.4 strikeouts per nine in college. So it's why the D-backs reached on him in the second round. And that fastball was the driving force of him 
in the minor leagues. At one point, he was able to touch triple digits back in like 2020, 2021. He hasn't really been able to do that in 2022. His average fastball velocity in the minor leagues in 2022 was around 93 miles per hour. I think that's why his first start with the D-backs was so surprising and really blew away our expectations because no one expect everyone knew he was going to be a fastball oriented guy but no one thought he was going to be throwing it with the heat and gas that he was throwing it in his first start because ryan nelson averaged 95 miles per hour on his fastball maxing out at 98 and it was just a breath of fresh air to see a d-backs pitcher just consistently throw some heat and gas because it looked like he might have gotten off to a bad start. He gave up a leadoff double to start the game, but then after that, Ryan Nelson completely locked in and retired the next 17 straight batters of the San Diego Padres, and he only needed 87 pitches to get through seven innings, and most of them were fastballs. Like The Padres didn't need to sit there and wait for a changeup or a breaking ball. Despite Ryan Nelson throwing those, 58 of his 87 pitches were fastballs against the San Diego Padres. And when you look at the splits of righties versus lefties, like basically the same amount of fastballs to both righties and lefties. But for righties, he went more fastball slider combination. And then for lefties, more fastball curveball changeup. And for both sides of the plate, he was going down in a way with pretty much all the pitches he had. And it was crazy to see just Ryan Nelson just go up there and throw gas 96 pretty much every time and just rack up these Ks against us. You know, the Padres lineup has their up and downs in terms of their offensive uh, consistency, but there's still a pretty loaded lineup overall. So it was nice to see Ryan Nelson just go up there and say, guess what? I'm throwing you fastball every time. You don't got to guess what's coming because you know what's coming and you're not going to be able to stop it. Now, it did seem like his fastball velo was dipping a little bit throughout the game, specifically in that seventh inning. You could definitely see his arm getting it, getting a little bit more fatigued, missing the zone a little bit more. But I think more time in the D-backs organization on the major league level with a guy like Brent Strom should help his arm fatigue and overall velocity. And hopefully Ryan Nelson could get back to the dude who was hitting triple digits and sitting around 97, 98 with his fastball instead of the mid-90s because Ryan Nelson could be a guy that throws 100 more more often than what we saw in his first start because he didn't hit 100 one time. And he is a guy that used to be able to touch triple digits. So hopefully Brent Schaub can pull that back out of Ryan Nelson because both Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly have added almost a tick of velocity on their fastball. And I believe I'm giving all the credit to Brent Strom in that area. So hopefully Ryan Nelson could could improve his fastball velocity too because Ryan Nelson's biggest strength is probably his command and his fastball velocity. His command throughout his time in the minor leagues, great strikeout to walk ratio. The problem is this season, at least, he's given up a lot more hard contact, given up a lot more home runs and just fly balls in general. So if he can get back, he likes to go down and away, go back to producing ground balls with the high strikeout numbers. I think that would be perfect run for Ryan Nelson. And I'm hoping maybe he could be a potential starter in this D-backs rotation going forward because right now with Madison Bumgarner, like I'm making that guy a long reliever or I'm like starting him every 10 days. Like it should be Gallon, it should be Kelly, it should be Zach Davies as solidified top three guys pitching every five days. And honestly, the fourth and fifth spot should just be a rotation between two young guys and a Madison Bumgarner because the young guys are doing their jobs Basically, the whole rotation really is doing their job. Like Davies, Gallon, Kelly, every time they go through their rotation, it seems like they all put the D-backs in position to win. And then usually a Tommy Henry is serviceable. He either is good or he's just, you know, maybe he's not great, but he's usually serviceable 
at worst. Like he's really only had like one blown up start this season. So really the only guy you could point to in the rotation that usually gives the D-backs no chance of winning is Madison Bumgarner. So right now I would move his starts back even more. Toy Lovello throughout this past month, you know, every now and then he'd be like, all right, Mad Bum, we're pushing your start back a couple days so we could start you know, Tommy Henry or something like that. I would just do that a lot more often with Madison Bumgarner. Like, realistically, Bumgarner should have maybe two more starts the rest of the season because it should be just a straight-up youth movement in that rotation because the young guys, the young pitchers, every time they come up, they're pitching pretty well. So I want to see more young pitchers come up for this D-backs organization because, like I said, this D-backs future will be predicated most likely on their pitchers and not their position players. Now, Lindsay and I will get into the prospect rankings for the top D-backs prospects after that Carroll promotion. But first, I want to tell you about Bilt Bar because if you haven't tried the Bilt Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again because like all Built Bars, they're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft, they're easy to chew, and the reason why I love Built Bars is because it's healthy. It tricks me. I think I'm eating a candy bar when in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar that's low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, great for that keto diet. If you want your own, use promo code LOCKEDON15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Just go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKEDON15 and you'll get 15% off your next order at Built.com. I want to do a little ranking now. Uh, Lindsay, because now that Corbin Carroll's graduated, we got to redo the top five prospects Ooh. for this D-backs organization. I figure, you know, we'll build suspense. We'll start from the bottom because we know who the top two guys are going to be, but we don't know in what order. So number five, Lindsay, for D-backs prospects. Uh, guy that got drafted this, this year, uh, mm. right-hand pitcher Landon Sims. So oh. I got to watch Landon Sims at Mississippi State. I know he's out right now with a TJ, and that scares a lot of people. For oh, the most God. part, guys come back. 95% of guys come back from a TJ now. So before the TJ, fastball, um, close to 100. He, it normally would sit 95, 96, but he could touch you know, 98, 99 with it. Like a 70-grade fastball. I mean, elite-level fastball. To go along with that, the slider is also a 70-grade slider. So as long as he comes back and both those pitches come back from the injury, he has probably the best one-two pitch mix in this organization. The question is going to be, what is the third pitch? He throws a changeup as his third. It's fringe to average. If you can improve that third pitch a little bit, I think you've got a middle of the rotation guy right there. Um, really big on Landon Sims. It's just a question of how healthy is he going to be, and you probably won't see him throw till towards the end of the year next year. Do you like it when prospects get the TJ early in their career as opposed to, you know, their fourth year in Major League Baseball? Because it feels like 80% of guys are going to have Tommy John surgery at some point in their career. So I'm like, I'd rather you just get it early, minor league level, rookie season. Like, just get it now, get it taken care of. Because sometimes guys come back after Tommy John and they're throwing even harder. 
from talking to organizations, they they don't mind the, the Tommy John happening when you're in college. They're a little nervous about the Tommy John happening for a high schooler. And part of that is the resources around you to help you rehab. And part of that is what kind of usage are you having to have to give you a Tommy John in high school? Yeah. Uh, but a Tommy John in college, to me, I'm not as concerned because you probably had a decent rehab program at the college. You had resources available. And something like this where they took him anyway, you got him, you probably wouldn't have gotten him where you drafted him if he was healthy. So it can get you a discount on a guy as long as you're willing to wait a year. And I think he's worth waiting for. So how long would we have to wait for him? If he's getting Tommy John now, he's a rookie. It feels like it's probably going to be like four years before we see this guy. So, okay. So he had, um, he, he had, he made three starts in 2022. So I want to say he had the, he had the injury in March of 2022. Uh, we typically talk about a year and a half to come back. So I would expect him to be doing some throwing uh, and possibly some rehab games towards the end of next year. Um, and so you're looking at a full season in 24. I think that as long as his stuff comes back, you could see him uh, maybe late in the year in 24. I think a good comparison to the the, the development path could be a guy like at Spencer Strider, who had Tommy John his final year at Clemson. Braves took him. He rehabbed, and then he went from A ball all the way to the majors in one year because he kind of stuck to that one-two pitch mix that he had, and he got both of those pitches back to the elite level that he has them at. So I think that's a good comp there. Uh, Best-case scenario, end of the year in twenty uh, and 23, I'm sorry, in 24, if not 25, spring. And that's a great comp because we're recording this on Thursday and Spencer Strider just set the Braves uh, franchise record for strikeouts in a game with 16, what, 16 strikeouts, two hits and eight innings. So if you're saying Sims is getting comp to that guy. Uh, yeah. I think the D backs will take well, that because the, what, what do you want to say? I would say like, like think about it. It's the big, the big fastball slider, uh, you know, body, physical, thicker, lower body, uh, you know, elite one-two pitch punch had a TJ their final year of college. Like it's, it very much makes sense that that's the comp for him. Uh, the question is going to be, do, does his fastball and slider come back like Spencer Strider's did after the injury? Yeah. And D backs, I mean, they need pitchers because it's been like their biggest weakness from this developmental point, uh, development, developmental part of their system because they just don't produce enough starting pitchers and really relievers. Like the D backs bullpen is terrible. And then our GM doesn't know how to sign a reliever either. So it just double deuces of badness right there. So Lindsay, number five, D backs prospect rankings. Yeah. So oh, number four, excuse me. Lennon's number five, number four, left hand pitcher Blake Walston. Oh, okay. Uh, I think he has one of the better uh, ceilings of these pitching prospects. And I have a whole grouping of pitching prospects right here in the middle of the top 10. Um, the big thing that I wanted to look at here, when we looked at him last year, we saw that the conditioning wasn't quite there. He looked really good to start the season. And then as the year went on, he wore down a bit. The velocity dropped. The results dropped. From what I've heard this year, he's in better shape. We're seeing the numbers sustained through. Uh, he's had a little bit of struggles with control. He's got 42 walks right now and just over 100 innings. He's also got 125 strikeouts. Um, the the curveball is is a plus pitch. He just doesn't always have the control of it that he needs. Uh, slider and changeup are both above average. And then the fastball above average as well. He has the pitch mix. He has the four uh, average or above average pitches. It's just a question of, Physically, what's his conditioning? And then can he get 
the curveball to land every single time. Uh, if he can, if he can tick those two boxes off, I think you're looking at a guy that could be a you know a number two, number three type as far as you know tons of pitches can go deep into games and guys just can't seem to hit that lefty curveball. Yeah, when you say conditioning, is it like an arm fatigue kind of thing, or is it literally just like a weight? He's too, he's too big for himself. So so no, he's only six five one ninety five. I think it's a it's keeping the the effort behind the arm all season. He just okay. it, it, he just loses velo throughout the season, and then in a start he loses it throughout a start. I just think he needs he honestly he needs a good healthy 10, 15 pounds of muscle behind him just to one it'll it'll take up velocity a little bit. But then two, it'll just help him have a little more durability in the body to make it through a season. I mean, it's a big adjustment. He's a guy that didn't go to college. And so um, it's a big adjustment from pitching in high school to pitching in the pros. And his body just hasn't caught up with where his arm is yet. Yeah. And I wonder if he's just right now, like trying to throw gas in like the first half of his minor league season, then his arm is just fatigued in the second half. A little case of the mass and Bumgarner, but Bumgarner's arm gets fatigued for different reasons than the Blake Walston. So let's move on to number three, Lindsay, Lindsay in the D-backs prospect rankings. Uh, a guy that does not need to worry about putting on any additional size. Um, right-hand pitcher, Brandon Fat, 6'4", okay. 230. Um, I, so this year, 137 innings, 176 strikeouts to 28 walks. The control, the command of the secondaries has really been there. And the thing that I like here is he's not, I feel like when you look at the pitch mix, he's not overly reliant on any one pitch. Fastball sits lower you know mid to lower 90s 93 94 i wish he had a tick or two extra on it he can reach back and get a 97 i wish he was a little more reliably there uh, but it has a really high spin rate and it plays really well up in the zone and that's one of the things we've seen a lot in baseball is the elevated fastball really be a weapon that hitters can't handle um you know slider breaks horizontally so it, it breaks downward um Curveball, I think, is probably the 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 last one of the four pitches, but he really just uses it to keep people honest and keep people off of the slider. And then the the changeup is a ground ball pitch, and so he's really good at mixing the four of those and then understanding what he's trying to do and actually executing that plan. So I like what I see from Brandon Fat. If I could had, could wave a magic wand, I'd say give him an extra two mile an hour and you're set. Yeah, I remember when we recorded last time, I asked you which minor league prospects from this D-back system do you think could be called up and make an impact right now? And you mentioned Fat as one of those guys, and he was still in double-A at the time you said that. So for Brandon Fat, like, is he someone that you think could be called up and, you know, coming to spring training next season, then maybe he does the Alec Thomas where he waits a month and then gets called up to the major league level in, like, I don't know, May or something like that? Given the sample size, he only has five games in triple-A right now. I think he's going to have two more starts before the season ends. I'm trying to think when this, this, the AAA calendar ends, maybe three. He's a guy I expect him like an Alex Thomas, that they wait conveniently right past the Super 2 deadline. Then he gets called up and he has some um, a chance to do it next year. That gives them a chance to see what his velocity gains look like over the winter, as well as make sure that he is ready to come up. Uh, with that that little bit of extra time in AAA. But he's a guy that I definitely expect to be one of the last guys reassigned from Major League Camp to Minor League Camp and one of the first guys to come up after the, the Super 2 deadline next year. So if he gets called up, what kind of pitcher is he? Is he more because you mentioned he produces a lot of ground balls? So would he be more a ground ball pitcher with a low strikeout rate or can he kind of marry both of them? Like what's kind of his profile if he got called up? 
It would be marrying both of them. So, I mean, he he his strikeout rate is somewhere around 10 or 11 strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, okay. absolutely excels at that. Very, really, really low walk rate. I think for his career in the minor leagues, he walks less than two guys per nine innings. Um, and and so it's it's more of strikeouts when I can. When I can't, I'll get a ground ball. And so that's kind of where I see his game and really um, has the potential to be simply because the velocity is not overpowering. I don't want to call him like a number two, but probably a solid number three for you. Guy that okay. can get through a lineup probably three times. Uh, because he has different ways to get you out. He's not just relying on striking you out. He can um, make you ground out as well. Real quick, I'm going to give you a curveball. So if you don't have notes on this guy, don't feel bad at all. But I just want to ask you, like, did you have any thoughts of Tommy Henry when he got called up? Did you think of Tommy Henry as like a major league starting pitcher or, or a guy that could be in the back end of your rotation? Because obviously he got crushed by the Phillies in his most recent start. But so far for majority of the season, like he's been pretty good for this D-backs team. I don't love that he's like a low 90s fastball thrower, but he's been good at mixing in that breaking pitch, even though he didn't have great feel for it in his last start. I thought so far this season, he's been more impressive than I thought, even though I didn't feel like he had a really high ceiling uh, getting called up. Yeah, so even for a lefty, the velocity is too low, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's 91, 92 or so. Not necessarily where you want a major league pitcher to be. Um, the the changeup, I think he, he he needs to throw the changeup more simply to keep guys off the fastball. The fastball is hittable. Um, the I I want to say it's it's like a slurve. The slider and the curve just blend okay. together into a you know into a slurve. Um, not necessarily amazing but he can mix them decently. He's going to be a guy that at, I think at best, he's going to be a back end guy. He's going to eat innings for you during the regular season, go out there every fifth day. Um, and then when the postseason comes around, he'll, he'll be that starter. You don't need in the postseason. You move him to the back end of the bullpen. Um, you know, he's helping you with long relief or if a starter gets knocked out early in the playoffs, but he absolutely like is useful uh, he had because he has a little bit of deception in that whole thing, and the fastball changeup combo can play well when he uses the changeup enough. He just doesn't quite use it enough. Okay, I don't mind either if he's just an innings guy, long reliever, because we already have a lefty who's really not that good, and Caleb Smith who's doing that. So <laughs> we could just take him out and put Tommy Henry there. Like I would greatly appreciate that. But now it's time for the the main entree, Lindsay, the top two prospects, and. We got to do a drum roll because we got to know who you have at number two, Lindsay. So number two among all D-backs prospects right now. Drew Jones. Woo-hoo! Which is tough because he hasn't played a game for you. Wow. But just the potential in a Drew Jones from what we saw, he's he's one of the rare high school players that we have all of the same level of analytics on. We have the track man. We have the biomechanical markers. Uh, we have the rat. We, we have all of that stuff. We've seen him do all of those things. So uh, we have a lot enough information to say that a lot of the scouting on him has been correct. And the question is just going to be more of how long does it take him to get there? And where do these tools end up as far as the ceiling? Um, the arm looks to be 
somewhere between plus and double plus. The defense, the speed, he's laser timed. We're pretty confident that the speed's there as well. It's just a question of him adjusting to major league pitching uh, and finding the power with the wooden bat. How long does that take him? And then does do any of those other tools back up a bit as he physically matures and gets older? That's something we saw his, his dad do it. As his dad got closer to 30, his dad's speed started to back up a bit. He thickened out a little bit in the midsection, ended up being out of baseball actually early for as good as he was um, at age 2021. 20, so Drew Jones, a lot of confidence in the projection because we have so much data on him. Just a question of what's the adjustment period for him, especially missing this whole fall with a shoulder injury. Yeah, and so there's not really much analysis you can have outside of what you just said from what you've seen from his high school stuff because, like you said, he's out the season with a shoulder because I'm guessing number one on your prospect list is a guy who was out with a shoulder last season in Jordan Lawler. Am I correct in that, Lindsay? You are correct in that. Jordan Lawler, um, you know, because every Diamondbacks first-round pick has to injure their shoulder. It's a tradition now. That's what we do around here. But no, um, so – Jordan Lawler is a really interesting one to me because I initially had him as a 2024 guy. I mean, he spent this whole year, 19 years old in high A Hillsboro. Um, you know, he went low A, high A, and now in Amarillo. But like, look at what he did in high A, 288, 385, 477 at age 19 in high A. Um, the way that he acclimated to the new level and how quickly he did it made us kind of push the timeline up a bit. I initially thought he'd be a 24 guy. I think there's a chance, uh, depending on how his season finishes this year in Amarillo, that you see him get a cup of coffee at the end of the year next year. Uh, part of that will also depend on, one, can he clean up the defense a bit? I think he's at like a 906 fielding, and it's just a consistency issue. Uh, it's, it's, you know, mistakes from focus more so than a skill thing. And then what does the offensive production at short look like for you? You've got Gerardo Perdomo. You've got Nick Ahmed, the great Nick Ahmed. So what does the offensive production look like for you at short towards the end of the year? And do you need the bat or do you have the the runway to let Jordan Lawler come up and test himself at the end of the year next year? I think that's the real question. But I've moved the timeline up to, tw- to late 2023. Yeah, I could tell you the production at short. If it's going to be Perdomo or Nick Ahmed Manning short, there's going to be zero production, Lindsay. But but if you have a guy like Josh Rojas at shortstop, then maybe a guy like Emmanuel Rivera at third, now you got some offensive potential. Maybe Rojas is not as good as Nick Ahmed defensively, but I don't care because he's leaps and bounds better than him offensively, and I'd rather have an offensive bat in my lineup than, a def- than an offensive liability in my lineup. So from that standpoint, I would rather have Josh Rojas playing shortstop. But I would, you know, in the perfect world, Jordan Lawler gets called up next season because I just want to go bop, bop, bop. I want Corbin Carroll this season. I want Jordan Lawler next season. And then the year after that, I want Drew Jones. So how realistic is this dream, Lindsay? I know Drew Jones is out this year, but if he mashes, you know, right away, could he spend maybe a year or two in the minor leagues? And then Jordan Lawler has that cup of coffee, like you said, next season, because we've seen it more recently in baseball than probably ever before with the Fernando Tatises, the Wander Francos, like these guys, they crush in the minor league level. Even a guy like Ben Tendi, like if they crush on a minor league level, the teams will call them up quickly. And you know what? We all know about service time manipulation, but also if you have a superstar in the making, sometimes you just got to call that guy up right away. Well, one of the things that they've done about service time manipulation is the team gets rewarded if the players in the top for the voting now too. So you kind of have an incentive to wait till after the super two 
you know, you don't give him extra year of arbitration, but if he's good enough to win or be in the finalist for, for rookie of the year, you get a reward as well as he gets the year of service time. Um, I think that a lot of it depends on the health, the, the health and rehab of Drew Jones. If he gets over that shoulder issue fairly quickly and has a full season next year, I think it's entirely plausible to think the end of 23, you see Lawler and the end of 24, you see Jones and going into 25, you have most of these guys in place. You've already called up an Ivan Melendez. Uh, you may or may not have called up a Devis and De Los Santos uh, for watching the strikeout rate for him. See what he does at third. Uh, but I think there absolutely is a path provided that the shoulder injury rehabs well for Jones that you get him at the end of 24 and you have this this in place, and you're just figuring out what is the pitching doing. Yeah, and then if you have Drew Jones, Jordan Lawler, and Corbin Carroll on the major league level, how are you setting those three up in your lineup? What, who who's the leadoff hitter there? Who's the cleanup guy there? Like, how do you how do you figure out those three? That is really tough. That is that is very hard. Um, I think part of it's probably one asking them what they're comfortable doing if 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 we go with my theory and we put corbin carroll in that ronald acuna leadoff spot then when drew jones comes up i don't want to change that i don't want to take corbin carroll out of that spot uh but eventually as he gets a little bit older it's going to be time to transition him into a different spot and have a different leadoff hitter i probably have corbin carroll one um this is assuming everybody hits their ceilings Corbin yeah. Carroll one, Drew Jones at probably two, and then I'm going with um, probably uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Kristen Walker is probably probably my cleanup hitter. I probably get Ivan Melendez at five. Um, Alex Thomas is kind of towards the bottom as maybe like a second leadoff hitter more so than anything else. But, you know, Rojas, you can put him wherever you want. You can put him at three. You can put him at six. You can, I mean, Varsho, there's tons of options, and it's really hard to figure this out. But I want those speedy guys, um, Carroll and Jones, back-to-back one and two up there. Would you maybe put Lawler at three then? Because the thing is with those three guys, like they all kind of hit for power and speed, which is a nice thing. And then like you even mentioned like a Ketel Marte just now. So it's like, where would Ketel Marte fit in that? Is he all of a sudden your fifth hitter with Christian Walker four? Then like you said, you got Melendez maybe up there at number six or Rojas and Thomas. Like just thinking about this lineup and what it could be in five years. It's like, this is why GMs keep their jobs way longer than they should because they just keep selling you hope. It's like, don't worry, we're rebuilding. Just wait five years for these guys to call up. Oh, we're going to be good, you know, in, in twenty twenty five and it's like as a d-backs fan like yeah i'm excited for when they get called up and hopefully they hit their ceilings but man i might be waiting a long time for that yeah Marte. i mean Marte could could bat third i was hesitant i was thinking about his performance this year and thinking like should he bat third i don't think he should bat third (laughs) but assuming he's back he could bat third then um but i mean like there's just like you said there's tons of options Lawler could slot into the three spot um you know lots of different ways you could set this up i think the big thing is get that speed on base up front and then let your two big guys and Walker and Melendez drive them home. I just love the fact that the oldest guy on this team in the position players is Christian Walker, and he's barely over 30. Blows yeah. my mind how young this team is, and I love that for their future. He's the oldest guy, and he's still arbitration eligible, which is crazy. So for this D-backs team, they got a bright future, and we're hoping maybe 2025 World Series champions. <laughs> Lindsey Crosby, Locked On MLB Prospects, thank you for hopping on today. Where can the listeners find you? 
I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm. It's on YouTube, available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions for the show, every Monday is our mailbag, entirely sourced from listener questions. Send those to me, send those to the show, or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. Yeah, go check out Lindsay's podcast. And also, don't forget to check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Lockdown Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Lockdown Bets, all combining into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lindsay. Thank you for hopping on today, sir, and I'll catch you next time. That's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Shout out Lindsey Crosby for always being available and for his phenomenal prospect analysis. Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Now, go make your second listen of the day, the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Lockdown Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Lockdown Bets, all combining into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces!